This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Voices of Vapors, where we talk about tobacco harm reduction, including electronic cigarettes and vaping devices. Now, this issue has been big in the United States this year. If you've been following me, I've been following all the legislation, which included about over 300 bills that, um, in this year alone, among the states that aimed to tax, regulate, and even prohibit it, um, the sale and purchase of electronic cigarettes and vaping devices. But this is even a bigger issue worldwide. Um, According to a 2018 article from the BBC, there's an estimated 35 million vapors worldwide in 2016, and that number was expected to grow to 55 billion by 2021. Now, I know specifically in the United States, there's about there was an estimated at the end of last year uh, 10 million vapors, with about three million of them who had used e-cigarettes to quit smoking um, combustible cigarettes. Now, this is a huge economic impact. The global electronic cigarette market is expected to reach over $44 billion by 2023. Um, And while the U.S. has had major restrictions on e-cigarettes, electronic cigarettes, from our own standpoint, across the globe, there is an array of regulations from um, countries that have, um, with their public health groups that promote the use of these products, to countries that even ban them altogether. And today, we've got somebody who's who's in a country that's a little bit in in between. They've got greater restrictions on e-cigarettes than we have in the States, but they're not quite um, uh, banned. Um, Today, I have Paul Blaumeyer. Blamire, did I did I pronounce that correctly? Paul Blamire, Blamire. Okay, That's today. Correct. Okay, edit that, guys. Um, today I have Paul Paul Blamire, a major advocate in Australia that has helped educate people in his country as well as the United States on the major health benefits of vaping. Now, Australia, like I said, doesn't exactly ban electronic cigarettes and vaping devices, but they have some really really restrictive regulations on the possession and sale of these products. Um, Paul was a smoker for over 30 years, and he first tried vaping in 2014. And since then, he's became an advocate, but he's also created his own e-liquid online, and he's that's part of the do-it-yourself community, which is really major in the vaping um, industry. Um, and it's especially useful for countries as, such as Australia, um, given their restrictions. Um, currently, he's the owner of Labworks Vapes, which is a liquid manufacturing company. Um, Paul, thanks for coming on today. How are you? Oh, you're welcome, and good morning from Australia. Yes. He is in the future, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about that. I've also got the lotto numbers for anyone that needs them. All right. Yes. So, okay. I kind of alluded to it, but I always ask this question to all my um the list or all my guests that come onto the show. But okay, um, and obviously you're a former smoker, so we got that's how you came onto vaping. But how did you get so involved with it and become such a passionate advocate? Um, not for not only you know working on issues in your own country, but working on issues um, globally. The main reason, when I tried everything to give away cigarettes and vaping was the only thing that had worked. I tried gums, patches, sprays, even hypnotherapy. Um, Vaping, within a week, I'd actually transitioned pretty much from combustibles across to the vaping space. When I saw and I found the benefits of vaping... It was a no-brainer for me. I started educating myself more about restrictions and what was available to vapors worldwide, watching the changes in technology, and I knew 
straight away, okay, this is a life-saving technology. Yes. Why, why are the governments trying to either ban what we are trying to do or why are they trying to restrict it so far and so hard? And that's pretty much where I got my start. I was involved uh, very regularly on a DIY show in 2015 and early 2016 on Fresh O3's channel via YouTube. And we always spoke about advocacy there. We looked at the different issues. We looked at how the governments were trying to regulate the industry, but we didn't really understand. And then when you dive into it, you find that, sure, big tobacco is there, but the bigger harm that we were finding at every turn was it was actually, well, what we thought back then, and we were right, was big big pharmaceuticals yep. and the biotech industry because we're actually cutting into the NRT market. On one hand, you have tobacco sales worldwide, which is a billion-dollar industry, and then on the other side, you have the pharma biotech industry, which is a trillion-dollar industry. And a trillion-dollar industry has a lot more resource to come after the underdog and go, well, hang on a second. We have products that will help you, but they don't work. But we no, you can't take our money. You cannot take our money. Yep. That's what we that's what we found. And when we started diving into it even further, it got scarier and scarier and scarier. We will go we will come back and go diving into some of those. So um because you are from one of the countries that does Restricted um, more so than other, uh, you know, countries um, such as, you know, the UK or the United States. Um, and this kind of, go, from what I understand, um, the reason it's so restrictive in, in Australia is the way that you guys regulate nicotine. Um, and that, and also that you have to actually, outside of nicotine from nicotine replacement therapy products or tobacco cigarettes, the e-liquid, the nicotine you would need for an e-liquid, you actually need a... Um, prescription from a doctor on it and for my what i read is considered a um schedule seven poison um correct yeah can you talk more about this classification in australia um what why how did it come about and what does it mean for like the way e-cigarettes are regulated there okay well the schedule seven poison uh we can put it we can put it in the same categories as um pesticides and wow. If you went across to the medical side of things, it's about the same classification as heroin or an opioid. Oh, wow. Um, the, once upon a time, nicotine was used in a lot of pesticides. So they decided just to leave it. They, unless you have a registered NRT product here in Australia, you're not really allowed to use nicotine. But you can use it in pesticides. You can use it in NRTs. If we could have the classification change from, pardon me, from a seven to around five where it could be used in vaping products, it would be a lot easier for us to deal with. The classification has been in play for a long time and that's actually controlled by um, the TGA, which is the Therapeutic Goods Administration. We've approached them on numerous occasions to lower the classification so we can actually work with nicotine in our liquids. 
all the liquids that we manufacture and sell here in Australia are actually zero milligram nicotine. So from the get-go, you have to have some form of um, DIY knowledge to actually be able to add said nicotine to your liquid and then you go from there. But the problem that we have here, we don't have a problem actually importing the nicotine and the, that's where the prescription comes in. You're meant to actually hold a current prescription from a doctor for your nicotine for a three-month supply for personal use. Mm -hmm. But no one can actually give us a figure on how many milligram per milliliter we're allowed to be using. That's for a start. Second, no one has ever broken it down for us how much a three-month supply actually is. You, you might have someone that's on a small device that uses maybe 100 mils of liquid a month and then you've got someone like me that's always testing and I might have, what, right on my desk right now, I've got, what, two, four, six, eight, ten <laughs> different devices. So yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's, what, what am I meant to do? Like a three-month supply for me could be a litre. Yes. Of nicotine. But for the regular Joe Blow, um, a three-month supply of nicotine might be 100 mils of 100 milligram per milliliter. Yeah. We, it, no one's clarified any of this for us. So is it's it stupid. So what you then, what your supply can be is just determined by what your doctor would prescribe to you then? Correct. They, they went down the pathway here at one stage that there was a compounding pharmacy here in Australia uh, based in Melbourne um, or Victoria for the listeners. And they were compounding, but like nicotine, actual nicotine liquids, but no one could give us where the nicotine was coming from. Were there any other additives? Because that's something, as a vapor knows, we know pretty much what's in our liquids. Yeah. Um, that was never answered. Even when you reach out to them, oh, well, we just we just make your liquid to this strength. And no thanks. I'd rather know exactly what's in my liquid yes. than, than having someone, you know, knock it up in the lab that, okay, well, what else did you put in there? No thanks. Yeah. And, well, and so, so what are you seeing then for people that are trying to, um, I mean, I'm assuming, I, I mean, in a perfect world, they're all getting their prescription and getting their nicotine. What are you seeing um, from the, I guess, the black market and which will always prevail with really, you know, big government restrictions? Um, how are you, how are e-cigarette users in um, Australia getting their nicotine and their e-liquid? The majority of the time, the people that don't really understand or don't want to handle what's known as a poison, I don't see it that way because you can find nicotine in vegetables. Um, the big the big problem I see is people importing, instead of importing 50 milligram per milliliter or 100 milligram per milliliter, I've actually seen pure nicotine being brought into the country. Oh, wow. They're not being, they're not being taught how to mix correctly. Yeah. I've seen people in a vape shop that I used to work in I've actually seen them come in with a bottle of 100 milligram with a dropper on it and just drop a couple of drips into the tank that they were using at the time and said, oh, no, that'll be all right. So in, in other words, they're not measuring, they're not, they don't have any of that 
understanding. But then you'll see people bringing in, you know, 10, 20, 30 bottles of liquid from around the world, from New Zealand, United States, Canada, the UK, that has already got nicotine in it. But that's that's all well and good. That's fine. Restricting what we do here, it it makes it unsafe in some ways. Yes. And that's that's what we'd rather not see anymore. We'd rather the government allow the manufacturers here to go down the pathway, put together proper programs, go to the government and say, look, can you please allow us, sure, 3, 6, 9 and 12 milligrams. Yep. That's, that's all we're asking for. Like, okay, all the way up to 24 milligram if you really want to get nitpicky for pod systems and for mouth to lung for people transitioning yeah okay no, now, you br- okay so you brought up up to 24 milligram i guess for some of our listeners yeah. who aren't familiar um jewel pods in america are up to 50 milligrams and i know that there's more restrictions on them i know in the uk they can't have that that level of um of um, nicotine content in there. So 24 milligrams really not that um, high when you think about what's available in the States and convenience stores. 20, look, 24 milligram in my eyes would be the, the best possible way to transition across directly from cigarettes or yep. combustibles into the vape space. Um, I was, a, I was a very, very heavy smoker. I was smoking anywhere between 40 and 50 a day. Oh, wow. And <laughs> and I, I started on, believe it or not, I started on 18 milligram. Within a week, I was down to 12. And then for the majority of the time now, I'm vaping 3 milligram. Yep. Um, but if I go out and I have a small device, um, it's anywhere between 6 and 9 milligram. If I'm out having a beer or something, sure. Yep. Well, no, and that's a, I, I always bring that up. I think with it, when I'm trying to explain to lawmakers is that, and especially with this whole notion about how addictive um, nicotine is, is that you you do see a lot of people who are using the open systems to transition their nicotine contents to a reduced content. I know some people who are still vaping, but they're vaping zero nicotine. They either really like the flavor, but it's also where I believe that e-cigarettes became one of the best, um, you know, cessation devices is the fact that they they mimic the cessation of smoking by, you know, you're still you're still you're vaping on something, you know, but it's still the hand to mouth sensation that people get with a cigarette. Correct. Versus any um, other NRT. I mean, like you don't want to say you don't want to. Oh, I want. I really want a cigarette. I'm gonna pop a piece of gum, and that's not gonna, you know, provide the same relief that you know the a, a vaping device does. Well, I can say from experience, uh, the gum, and I think this is a warning that should be on the, the actual packs of gum. The gum's actually really addictive in my in my eyes, but yeah. the other problem that you get from the gum is it wrecks your teeth. It yeah. destroys it destroys the enamel of your teeth. Yeah, and I'm I'm proof of that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's not very. It's not a sugar free gum at all. So okay. Back to Australia. Now, with this whole nicotine, because there are, like, okay, so you have the federal regulations for the whole co- the whole country, or it is a country, Australia's country, um, but then yes. there's the territories there, 
um, that they've got their own set of like of, of restrictions on nicotine um, and, and e-cigarettes, um, including really extensive punishments um, for uh, you know uh, possession of nicotine without the proper prescription. I know you had mentioned. I forget what, where it was, a $45,000 fine up into 10 years in jail, but I know I saw the Australian Capital Territory with a $30,000 fine and up to two years in prison. Um, and then up to, like, Queensland that would um, and it just imposes about a $10,000 fine. Um, I think I saw one of the territories only had, like, an $1,100 fine. So it looks like some of them are a little bit more friendly and some of them are kind of, like, really demonizing that. Um, let's talk about that. Like, and how is that a major issue on... Uh, you know, just, um, I guess, police budgets on that one. Um, how do you catch somebody with an illegal prescription, you know, with nicotine? Do they go up and, like, test your bottles? Like, oh, is there nicotine in there? And where's your proper prescription? That, that's also been... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's that's also been... It, it's not really a headache for the people that know what they're doing. But in Queensland, um, they... Sure, they've got a you know nine and a half, almost ten thousand dollar fine. Uh, they've also got a, a phone line that you can dob in someone that's actually using nicotine in their vape products. Oh gosh, that that's 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 the really interesting one. Uh, New South Wales, where I live, they, they have an eleven hundred dollar fine, or it's um, points that they accrue. How many? how many different variations of the liquid that you have without a prescription and that class as a, as a point system. Victoria is probably the most progressive. Um, they do have restrictions, but not as, not as much as the rest of the country. Um, South Australia has just imposed bans of, um, not being able to vape in the shops. Um, Everything has to be covered up or behind a black cabinet as such. Oh, wow. We have that restriction here in New South Wales. Victoria also has that. They're touting the uh, the Clean Air Act that you can't vape in in a vape shop, which is stupid. What are you, how are you yes. meant to test your liquids? Yep. That's, that's one thing. We go to the Australian Capital Territory, which is, guess what? That's where the government's located. Yeah. So, ooh, $30,000. <laughs> that's, not, that's not fair and fun. But they're, they're changing their ways. Um, then we get to Western Australia, which is the kicker. They've got a $45,000 okay. yeah. price tag attached to it and up to 10 years in prison. And we're just going, well, hang on. How does this work? How are you going to enforce this for a start? Secondly, I don't think it really comes down to the police system here. It would have to come down to the health departments in each of the states to enforce this. Sure, a police officer could walk up to you and say, do you have nicotine in your liquid? <laughs> um, yeah, they, they could do that. But... Hang on, are we going to tie up their resources, testing liquids, and you yeah. know, yeah. writing writing fines and taking you to court to prove that you do have nicotine in that liquid? Come on, that, that that's I don't see that happening. Yeah, that well, that's I really <laughs> do not see that happening. 
It's funny that they got what I, I'm just going to call the Queensland phone call line, the narc line. I know that, um, it, you know, Chicago, you know, Cook County's got some of the highest cigarette taxes in the region. And they actually have a program that you can get up to $250 for every um, non-tax cigarette that you can bring somebody in. And it's like, and they even sat there and they did a news article a couple years after it. And like the cost of the program wasn't even worth like what, you know, what they were bringing in. We have a huge black market here for I cigarettes. Imagine. It's it, it is out of control. When you when you compare um, the price of regular cigarettes here, which I'm going to get to, and I think a few of your listeners are going to go, "Hang on a second, we thought we had it bad here." Uh, you you've you've got no idea what we've been going through here for the past few years. When I gave up smoking cigarettes, they're around. $20, a pack. Oh, wow. So, and now, because they increase the taxes on a yearly basis of 12.5% per year, and they've got that in place until I think it's 2023 or 2025 here. So, a regular packet of cigarettes now, like a pack of 20s, is between $25 and $30 a packet. And when you step up into the higher or the the more amount of cigarettes that you actually have in a packet because we have packs of up to 50 here. Oh wow. And you look and you're looking at anywhere between 60 and 75 dollars a pack for a packet of cigarettes or if you're rolling your own you're looking at about 50 dollars between 50 and 75 dollars for a pouch of tobacco so you can roll your own cigarettes. Oh, so, that's insane. Yeah, well, and they, they've tar- they've done that to target the lower socioeconomic, but it's backfired because the people that are here um, on an unemployment benefit are actually going without food to fuel their their smoking habit, which yeah. is which is an issue. It's it's put a strain, but no one will ever talk about that. Yeah. Um, and the illegal cigarettes that are being sold here, or the knockoff brands, as we call them, they're around $15 a packet. So weigh it up. Wow. They're losing, they're losing tax from one side yeah. and created a black market that they, they can't stamp out. And I think half the time the states are actually turning a blind eye to it because they're still getting the GST or the goods and services tax from the tobacco shops or from the smoke retailers and the convenience stores, gas stations, whatever you want to call them. But they're not doing anything really for the smoking issue here. Yeah. Well, there, that is this kind of a it's a kind of a game of whack-a-mole. I know I, uh, higher taxes than the states uh, um, are always, you know, increased smuggling. For example, New York City, I think over 50 percent of their, their cigarettes on the, the streets of New York City are illegal cigarettes. They also happen to have 
one of the highest taxes in the nation. Um, and it's kind of ironic because it's like, you're right, you're not getting the tax, you're not getting the tax revenue from this population that you have to spend so much on, um, given the cost of smoking, whether, you know, be it the health related or the health issues, um, you know, just lost productivity that they always measure into it. Um, and speaking of that, I when I was looking over, I was doing some research, and I'm not going to be able to pronounce this guy's last name, but you did have a senator in Australia in 2014 who sat there and said, thank you for smoking, because they collected about $8 billion that year from smokers, um, just in tax revenue alone. And it was uh, David Leon. Uh, yeah, Leinhelm. Yeah. That's how you pronounce it? Okay, I was never... Yeah. That, well, that's not how it looks. But yeah, I, I thought that was kind of interesting. But I did like... I, I did appreciate the honesty. <laughs> well, he, he's he been on our side. Um, he was trying to help us and he tried passing bills at the government level, at the federal level, and nothing really nothing really happened. Yeah. The, the, figures, the figures here in Australia on smoking, you know, you might read one thing but there was a study that came out very recently and they actually looked at the five worst uh regions in australia for cigarette smoking the government's telling us that they've got it down to lower than 10 percent and then this figure blows them completely out of the water the five worst states or five worst cities where smoking is huge the actual figure is 40 percent of the population in those cities are actually still smoking combustibles oh wow yeah the the figures that are being touted by our government are a complete and utter lie and I'll, i'll sit here right right here right now and i'll say to the government if any of you guys ever listen to this podcast you are full of crap (laughs) <laughs> your figures, your your figures are not true. You're telling the you're telling the public one figure, but the real figure is glaring. And these five different places that they chose and looked at really, really hard. And it was from it was from an institute. Uh, uh, how would you put it, a university here in Australia that actually went and did the studies? They found that these five all had forty percent. The current smoking rate they're saying to everyone is around nine and a half. I disagree. I I still say it's around the twelve, twelve and a half percent Australia wide. You you have a look around. You walk the streets here, you'll see people smoking left, right, and center. You'll see a vapor here, a vapor there, but all in all, they're all still smoking cigarettes. Simple. I, I disagree with what the government's saying. I, To be quite honest, they're full of shit. It's back. The Heartland Institute is hosting the 13th International Conference on Climate Change on July 25th in Washington, D.C. at the Trump International Hotel. This is the most important climate conference of 2019, featuring the world's best scientists, economists, and policy experts who will present the latest data and information showing that humans are not causing a climate crisis. Tickets are available now, but space is limited, so don't delay. Our keynote meal sessions will include at least one prominent member of the Trump administration, a leader of the historic Solidarity Polish Labor Union, 
who has had it with climate alarmism in Europe and the latest round of the Climate Change Awards. Other featured speakers include prominent scientist Roy Spencer, David Legates, a Trump transition leader for EPA, Myron Ebel, and Anthony Watts, founder of the most read climate site in the world. What's up with that? Visit heartland.org for more information and get your tickets today. No, that's completely understandable. I know when they came out last year here on the youth vaping epidemic, and I'm trying to explain the lawmakers, I'm like, you're acting oh. like everybody in their schools are just walking down the hallways vaping. They're not, all right? They do, they, especially these numbers. Oh, this 76% increase. Well, they don't distinguish whether this is some kid who's vaping every day or if this is some kid who went to a party and happened to vape a couple times that month. It's it's literally if they vaped more than one time that previous month. And that's how they distinguish who's an everyday vapor um, and, and the way that those. And it's like, wow. And, of course, the news media, and this is how most of our law, our, our, our public officials decide to legislate and make rules is just go off of headlines. So that's been a nightmare trying to like retract that one um especially with the yeah lawmakers um and it's it's just really unfortunate because you just see, you're seeing that so much of this dis- disinformation ultimately is just going to impact smokers who need access to these products look i i agree with that and i i could touch on that and say look your your figures uh, as for a Epidemic? No, it's not an epidemic at all. That the word epidemic to me means something that cannot be controlled and needs medication to actually deal with it. Okay. Yeah. No, it doesn't need medication to deal with it. You just need lawmakers and people that aren't sitting around, that aren't sitting around there waiting for their paychecks to clear and go. Oh well, I can buy a new house this week because, oh, I just got a check from one of my sponsors. It's got to stop. Yep. And I, I will come out and say this. I, I'm, I'm one that will not hold my tongue when it comes to certain things. Until your FDA is completely stripped down to the bare minimum and rebuilt from the ground up and real laws put into play to actually help people transition from combustible cigarettes into a much healthier alternative – Enough is enough. You you have your FDA where, okay, you might have worked for biotech. You come across, oh, you become the head of the FDA so you can change the laws. Then you go back to the company that, where you originated. Yep. Oh, yeah. That's a revolving door at the FDA. And it didn't actually, I mean, it's, um, I know, and I'm, I'm still currently working on an op-ed, but maybe by the time this is actually up on the website, it will be, on, uh, you know, published. Um, uh, for example, Dr. Scott Gottlieb um, was a paid uh-huh. consultant for GlaxoSmithKline. For those who do not know, those are the, the manufacturers of Nicorette. Um, between 2014 and 2015, he received $160,000 in consulting fees. Now you've got GlaxoSmithKline has a contract with the Centers for Disease Control and with the states where they are now subsidizing Nicorette and um, Nicoderm, so the gum and the lozenges. And it's just kind of, I know, and I know Gla- it's GSK does more than just NRT, but it's just kind of a little bit suspicious that the guy who comes out so anti against vaping 
to the point that he tweeted about this quote-unquote youth vaping epidemic, and he didn't really need the FDA to do anything because the states responded with restrictions. It's just kind of a little bit upsetting to see the um, massive amount of cronyism and that at the end of the day, it's not about harm reduction. It's not about public health. It's about putting dollars into somebody's pocket. Well, again, Gottlieb, um, he... He also had a stake in the vape game yep. at one stage. Yep. So hang on, how the hell, like we, people like myself and a few other like-minded people thought to ourselves, hang on, maybe he bought a stake in, in the vapor space to see exactly what went on, to actually understand how it all worked and where the chinks in the armor were. Then yep. he designed these systems, pardon me, around that. That's where that's where I think he got a lot of his ideas. But he's being told what to do and how to do it. Yeah. Otherwise, you won't have a you won't have a new Corvette sitting in your driveway at the end of the week. You you have to do this for us. And I will say, um, corporate America runs your system. It, it's not run by the people anymore. It hasn't for a long, long time. Yeah. And we've got the we've got the same issues here. We we have people that are being put in the places of power that have no medical training. Take for instance our health minister. He's a lawyer. He's not a doctor, <laughs> and he he's he's under advisement from his so-called advisors. And for what? What are you going to advise on this week? Oh, so that's the newest and greatest. We'll have to do that. But yeah. do I get a paycheck out of it? Probably. Yeah. Ass hats. Yep. Then we've got our FDAs made up of unelected and unaccountable um, public officials. Um, the bureaucracy is probably the worst travesty in our country, actually. Look, one day you and I will talk about the FDA and what they have and what they haven't done for the U.S. people. And they're an absolute joke. You go into the FDA maybe having a couple hundred thousand dollars in your bank account. You walk out of the FDA with a couple of million dollars in your bank account. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, so enough, enough about the FDA, because I could go on for hours. Um, <laughs> why, why is – okay, overall question. Why? What, what's up with all the restrictions of vaping in Australia? Why um, is it – I know in America we've got you know I you kind of alluded to it I know it's a th I think it's a three prong approach but is it are your is your government that much tied up to tobacco monies that this is really messing their thing up is there is are the pharma companies that heavily subsidized or is it and is it also I mean are, are, is there real great concern that the science there's not enough science out there that's what our health minister Greg Hunt came out and said in an interview. He said, "There's there's not enough there for us to um, actually make a decision, even though we've taken our we've taken our fight, we've taken all of the information to the government, but the government won't listen. And there was there was a report come out stating that until there's until there is enough." evidence that this will help people transition from combustibles to a safer alternative but oh we can't say safer alternative 
until we can figure out a way to tax the shit out of it, we're not going to allow vaping in Australia. The the health the health department or the health ministry here in Australia is corrupt in that way. The the second part of it is the Therapeutic Goods Administration. If we wanted um, vaping to be accepted, we would have to put forward proposals to the TGA and prove to them that vaping is a true NRT and then it would be classified as a therapeutic good or a device to help you get off cigarettes. In doing that, that's handing it over. It's taking it away from the what little control we have at the moment and it will go one of two ways. It'll either be handed to big tobacco, which in some ways is good because it's it's stopping the combustibles, or it'll be handed over to the farmer community. If it's handed over to the farmer community, how do we know what again what is in our liquid? Yep. This is this has always been our question, or for the few that really look into it here. It's it's very tough. We we have the farmer industry, which is pretty big here, that controls certain people. But then you had a uh, parliamentary debate of the two health ministers, the current health minister and the opposing health minister, when we had our federal election or our general election here just recently. And I'll link you into that. And when you actually hear what is said, you you're you're going to be on the floor laughing, because apparent apparently um, our health minister Greg Hunt spoke to uh, Dr. Scott Godliebson. He doesn't even pronounce his <laughs> name correctly. That's for a start. And then he goes on and he touts a study put together. I can't remember the name of the university, but. Again, that was pseudoscience. Yeah. It was everything was busted and we just said, um, rubbish, rubbish, and more rubbish. And then you have the opposing health minister or the opposition coming out and saying, We we've seen big tobacco in the halls of government here, you know. And one side does not take big tobacco donations anymore, yet the side that our uh, Greg Hunt's from still takes tobacco money, and he's the current health minister. So we we know that there's that there, but everything everything that he takes under advisement comes directly from the TGA or the Therapeutic Goods Administration, and we have a bunch of old fuddy duddies sitting there on the board, and <laughs> they, they they have to go. There has to be young blood in there that really understands this space. We need someone from our side, but again, everything is done behind closed doors yep. late at night when no one can actually do squat about it. Yep. In 2017, we had an inquiry into vaping here in Australia. From memory, there was around 300-odd uh, submissions from the public. Okay. And... None of that was listened to by the government. And this one's for you, Greg Hunt. I hope you go out and read the actual study put together by the Royal College of Physicians 
that comes out of the UK. When you read that, come back to me and we'll sit down. I'll make you a cup of coffee and we can talk about what is and what isn't. Because if you say the science is not out there and it's not 95% safer than smoking a cigarette, I'll eat my hat. <laughs> no, it is unfortunate. I know with, I, I always tell lawmakers, uh, you know, at America, the Royal College of Physicians is the same public health organization that in the 1960s first came out with the report that we actually ended up using for our Surgeon General report that linked tobacco cigarettes with cancer. So, and I'm always amazed. It's like, why would you rely on them so much in the 1960s, but now you're not relying on them now? Um, and and they're not the only one. Public Health England, I mean, even the American Cancer Society earlier on last year sat there and said, well, yes, they are. there is a reduced, you know, risk of, you know, there's a reduced harm associated with e-cigarettes. But we don't know what the long-term effects are. Okay, if it's reduced at this point, what do you think the long-term effects would be? I mean, oh, just all of a sudden, you've been vaping for 10 years, so now the, your body's going to create a new chemical that's going to, like, for some reason, ca- cause us to be harmful for it to you. It's just, it's always amazing because it, it, when you break it down to the simple part of it, 600 plus ingredients in a combustible cigarette when when burned cause 7,000 chemicals to be, you know, um, emitted. E-cigarettes have five chemicals in them. And produce a vapor for, for the for the most part, yeah. For the most part, yes. Yeah. So now the the e salts have an, an additional chemical after, outside of the propylene glycol, the water, the glycerin, and the flavoring. They do have a bit like a type of acid on there that produces that. Um, from what I understand, with the nick, I'm still learning all the intricate details of all of it. So, um, so it is a complicated issue, um, and and it seems like they're saying it now. Is there? Is, are they worried about – is there an uptick in youth vaping in Australia? That they're, um, that's Our public health groups over here, it first started, if you look at all the fear-mongering, it started. One, they're not – the first one was they're not any safer for you. Well, the science sat there and disproved that. Then it turned into two, um, they don't help you quit. Well, the vapors, you know, disproved that. So it seemed like, the, you know, their last thing that they had to do, oh, well, you're getting kids addicted to nicotine. Um, is that narrative over in uh, the land down under? Yeah, we we do have that, sure. Uh, again, I'll touch on a, on a point. There is nicotine in vegetables. Yep. What are we going to ban vegetables next? That's you know, this is how stupid it really is. Um, Long term smokers, and I'm going to come out openly and say this now. In 2014, I was actually diagnosed with emphysema. Uh, stage two, early stage three emphysema. That's one of the main reasons I had to give up cigarettes and because there was a life-changing event that happened. Um, my, my daughter was born and I decided that I needed to make every possible decision for me to be around a little longer. If I if I kept smoking, my doctor actually said to me, my um, my surgeon, he said, if you kept smoking for another five years at this level, um, no doubt by the time you fifty to fifty five, you'd be on a you know complete oxygen reuptake system, or I'd be walking around with an oxygen cylinder yeah. pretty much all the time. Since I switched from combustibles to vaping a i do not cough unless i've done something stupid b um 
I can walk as far as you want me to. C, I do not snore half as much as what I used to. I can I can breathe. I do not wheeze. I can walk up and down stairs quite comfortably now without losing my breath, you know, two flights into a walk. There is so – and I've got my taste back. I can taste absolutely everything again, and I was, I've been missing flavors in yeah. everything for so long. You know, it, it, it's really, really hard. There, I don't see it as a youth epidemic. I don't see that we're trying to addict a new, you know, a whole new generation – Originally, this was created by a gentleman or the modern vaping system, Hon Lick, a, yep. Chinese, a Chinese doctor that was a heavy smoker that wanted to be able to get his nicotine a less harmful way. Yep. So he created, so he created the, the system. And now he, and sure, he did sell off, you know, one of the patents, I think it was, to a large company, but... Good luck to him for doing that. But he's still here to tell the story and he and he's vaping still. If the if these government departments around the world are saying, hmm, how do we stop this? Well, you're not going to. You're not gonna stuff the genie back in the bottle. Yep. The the genie the genie is out of the bottle. It's been out of the bottle now. No one ever thought that vaping would take off the way that it has. Big Tobacco didn't even think it was going to take off that way. That I think that's a, that's a big thing in the narrative, especially in the United States, that gets lost. It wasn't until they came out in the United States in 2007. It wasn't until 2012 that Lorillard purchased Blue. 2013 that Reynolds and Altria introduced their own. Um, the Big Tobacco looked at e-cigarettes and vaping devices to kind of sort of be a gimmick. It was kind of the consumers that it really stuck for them. They, they was the first product, I think you're an example of it, that actually helped you quit smoking. You, okay. Go back to, I, I'll say, early 2015, early 2016, okay, that that 12 months. Mm -hmm. That was the year of serious innovation. Yep. 24, 2014, you had the very start of what we classified as sub-ohm, um, which means anything under one ohm and below, which was classified as sub-ohm. You had manufacturers um, completely changing their tooling ideas and creating tank systems yep. or open systems as such, where and devices that had much higher quality chipsets where you able to vary the wattage and change the actual vape experience that you were getting. At the end of 2015, you started seeing really innovative devices come to the market you saw so many changes yep. in such a short period of time you you watched it go from what was classified pretty much as underground or um from more of a hobbyist or people that were trying to find a way to get off cigarettes and then you watched a whole it it was a change Yep. that no one ever saw coming. And that's when the genie really got out of the bottle. You had a YouTube community 
that started coming out and actually reviewing these products. 2014, sure, there was reviewers out there, but nowhere near um, what what happened in, in early 2015. It exploded. Yep. You, you have a lot of different communities now from around the world. You have the YouTube community. You have the Instagram community, which appeared out of nowhere again. You have the Reddit and the sub forums on Reddit. There was a lot of chatter regarding vaping e-cigarettes. You had a DIY community that was always there from the get-go, yep. but then started growing and growing and growing. And people wanting to learn. It For me, it's all about the flavors now. Yep. That's that's where it's at for me. If the listeners could actually see my room, it, <laughs> I've just got I've got cabinets just full of concentrates that I work with when I'm developing. Oh yeah. It for some of us now that have been in the vape space for a number of years, it's it's taken on an almost hobby like type type thing some of us it's a job some of it's it's the way we make our money that's the way we live from day to day but it's also got an i'm going to say this it's also got a geeky edge to it with the electronics the electronics um there's devices now on the market where you can actually control them via your phone bluetooth Yep. And these are, these are high-end devices. We're not talking, you know, $25 at your local Kmart. We're talking hundreds and, in some cases, thousands of dollars for some, some of these devices that are, A, handmade, B, have really high-quality chipsets or electronics in them, and C, the, the tank, either the tank, the RDA, or rebuildable atomizer, or a variation of the systems put together and it's become a whole industry. If they want to curb an industry and it was all created by mom and pop from around the world, they, it started as a cottage industry and now it's a multi-billion dollar industry. And some of your figures that you were saying earlier, a little bit off, but vaping, um, is growing to around fifty-five billion dollars a year oh, wow. in in the in the hardware and liquid side of it. The hardware side of it, innovation, it, it stemmed for a little while there when everyone didn't know what was going on, but that's going ahead again now. And there's vape devices being dropped left, right, and center. You have people from the YouTube community that were reviewers that are now working with the manufacturers to create their own products and putting their name to a product. You know that you're doing something right when you're actually putting your name to a product. Yep. That's your branding. You're you're creating a brand. If they want to curb this, they're not going to be able to because you have – think of it for a minute. You have the manufacturers of propylene glycol, the manufacturers of vegetable glycerin. You have the the flavor manufacturers, and they're worldwide based now. You have electronics manufacturers, both in the United States, China, Germany, UK, working on on board systems for the devices. You have um, metals that are used in the devices. You have 
um, prototyping, milling, machining, and then to the end product. You go into into the liquid development. You have people like myself and many others from around the world that sit here day in, day out, trying to come up with the next best liquid for everyone. You have transport. You have postage. You have uh, freight. You have, uh, what is it, um, taxes (laughs) across every platform. If they think that they're going to shut down an industry or throw restrictions, good luck because it's not only the owner of a vape shop or, or a liquid maker, it's everything under it. You've got packaging. You've yep. got graphics. You've got computers. You've got internet. You've got the, the list goes on and on and on of all the sub-industries that actually come from the industry that was built from nothing. Yep. Yep. That was built Where... from consumers demanding safer products. So my guys, are they're going to kill me for this because I always do super long um, podcast. So I got to get the, getting this thing going. Um, sure. Okay. So we're okay. So two que- it's a two part question. Do you think that the restrictions in Australia have had an effect on the way that, reg- that these products are regulated worldwide? And then also where can we find out more information about Australia as well as their, and then your um, advocacy efforts and all the stuff you've done? Sure. Yes, I I do think that what has happened or is what is happening here in Australia is taking a toll, especially in the US. I think the US has looked to Australia for, okay, well, we'll do this part, this part, and this part. We'll take that part from them and we'll try it here. Later this year in Australia, yes, we we are restricting online sales in South Australia, but they had to give them, I think it was around nine months, six or nine months before they could actually bring that into play. Uh, United States are already trying that. Mm-hmm. I'd really like to see how they're going to police that. Yeah. You know, since, since when are the FDA the, you know, since when are they the internet police? That that's not that's not going to happen really easily. What are they going to put it down to law enforcement and just throw more into their plate? No, it won't happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I can't really see online restrictions working. I think it's stupid. There's other things that they could go after to curb um, or to slow down where we're at right now. One being and I'm not going to say it because that will give them ideas, but there's a couple of components of the manufacturing when it comes down to the liquid process that they could actually stop or hinder and that would slow the industry down. But, no, we won't go down that pathway today. That's like a little rabbit hole that I'll stay (laughs) away from. Um, And then, but, yes, 100%. What's good. happening? What's happening here in Australia is affecting the worldwide. Um, there's the only other the only other people that have got their finger in the pie, and they've caused so many problems for so many different countries, and that's the WHO, WHO, the World 
yeah. health organization, but that's a, another conversation for another day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, for the listeners here in Australia, we have we've got two groups. We have legalized vaping, um, legalizedvaping.com.au, and we also have ATHRA, which is actually put together by people in the medical community. And AFTRA stands for Australian Tobacco Harm Reduction, and that's a .org. But I will organise links for you, and you can put them there. Yep, listeners, they'll be available on the yep, page. Yep. So, okay. The other and oh, sorry, even 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 on my website, I've gone against the grain, and I've actually added uh, the links to a few YouTube reviewers and advocates that I really believe in and that I have a lot of time for. And I've also got the links for both organizations for both legalized vaping here in Australia and for ATRA. That's pretty much, but I I've spoken on various panels on various platforms. Um, and I was also part of a podcast uh, with uh, David Gerlowitz, aka David the uh, former Winston, former Winston man. He's been on a podcast with us, yes. Yeah, I I did a number of podcasts with him and uh, Kevin Crowley. Okay, Kevin Crowley is a board member with me for THR for Life. Yeah, and um, yeah, him and I, him and I uh, used to sit there similar to this, and we did did the podcast. Um, on David David G Network, we did that for I think what fifteen different podcasts oh, we wow. put out with him, and then I did uh, a couple of mine just with David privately called uh, Butting Heads, trying to figure out what was going on in the United States and trying to figure out what was going on here in Australia. We and by the way, yes, it is age restricted because some of the things that we do talk about and because we both like to swear. Yeah, we um, had to edit him a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't edit. We shoot from the hip. We, yeah. We, I don't like being edited out when, I, when I'm when i going to swear at someone or call someone an hat because that's what they are, openly. No, yeah. you can't drop the F-bomb on this one. They, they don't really like me. If that was the case, I would be saying nothing but swear words on my podcast. <laughs> I, I, I don't I I've been a good boy. I haven't said that word today. You and have. I haven't said it I haven't said a few words today that normally come out of my mouth. You have, yes. No, and I know you guys have we way worse words than we do. Um <laughs> so, so hey, I get in trouble for saying that the, the, the one of those words and I'm not saying it right now. But um uh do you have any last advice to do do you have any last words of advice for our listeners? Um, whether in Australia or in the States or if we got any other international listeners on today? Yeah. Educate, advocate, and do whatever the hell you can worldwide. If you have a problem in your country, in your state, in your town, reach out to the people that are trying to shut you down. Make calls, send emails, and even get out the good old pen and paper. Yes, pen and paper, and write them a handwritten letter. And send it to them because guess what? They have to open that letter. Emails, they can just put it in the trash can. That's 
that's the easy part. But you really, really have to do whatever you possibly can. And anyone here listening in Australia, please dig in, keep sending email after email after email to the TGA, to our health minister, Mr. Greg Hunt, and tell them that you don't know what you're talking about. Listen to the real facts and please get off the stinkies, switch to vaping. You won't look back. Awesome. I think that's perfect. Well, thanks for coming on again, Paul. Listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Voices of Vapors. For more podcasts, including the series, please visit heartland.org or search for the Heartland Daily Podcast in iTunes. For more information on e-cigarettes and tobacco harm reduction, please visit our alcohol and tobacco page at heartland.org.